Hey everyone, and welcome to the October 7th edition of the Alligator Sports Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Henry. We're going to jump right into our breakdown of what's going on throughout UF athletics. Florida volleyball is riding high after a dominant past weekend, which features three straight sweeps, one over Georgia and then two against Ole Miss. The Gators aim to keep that streak alive as SEC play continues with road matches against LSU on October 9th and 10th. The Gators soccer team dropped another match October 3rd to Ole Miss. Matchups with Tennessee and Knoxville October 7th and with Missouri at home October 10th give them the opportunity to bounce back. Both the men's and women's golf teams were competing on October 4th through 5th. The women's finished 3rd in the Windy City Classic and the men finished 12th at the Colonial Collegiate Invitational. The men's team hits the course again October 10th through 12th for the SEC Match Play Championship. With that quick rundown out of the way, I'm excited to throw it over to new Alligator Sports Podcast co-host Jackson. He graciously was able to step in for me this week and gets to talk about some Florida football. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Alligator Sports Podcast. My name is Jackson Castellano. I'm going to be filling in for Joe this week. Uh, It's actually my first time on the podcast, so it's a little bit weird to be hosting on my first ever episode but I have a couple people that are going to be guiding me through it pretty properly so my guests today are the editor for the alligator sports desk Ryan Haley Ryan how are you doing I'm doing pretty well yeah I'm uh trying to, to gauge make sure my wi-fi keeps working I'm uh, coming to everybody live from Weimar Hall here in uh oh, here yeah. at UF so I'm uh on, doing a little communication. yeah doing a little on-site reporting today Perfect. I'm also joined by the football beat writer for the Alligator. It's Michael Hole. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Excited to uh, excited to be back on the podcast. Um, looking forward to talking some some Florida football. All right. Are you well, looking forward yeah, like to it, Michael? Teaser about what we're talking about today. We'll be discussing, unfortunately, the loss to Kentucky for the Florida football team. Uh, I'm sure. Is- unfortunately, unfortunately, that sounds like bias, Jackson. Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do that, huh? <laughs> it's okay the loss so. the loss of the loss mm-hmm. the game versus kentucky we are uh, here yeah. to talk about sport we're here to talk about the football game but yeah anyways uh disappointing loss for florida football obviously uh 13 to 20 was the final score uh coming down to the very last possession right outside of the end zone, knocking on Kentucky's door basically to keep the game alive and just barely denied at the goal line on a pass by Emory Jones. So probably the biggest thing I want to address just overall, and probably the biggest question that was running for any Florida fans mind when that pass felt incomplete and the game was over was what went wrong? You know, like Florida was favored in this game. And although there was rumblings of, upset watch and that Kentucky coming off a 4-0 schedule thus far was something to be reckoned with. It was an expected win for Florida nonetheless. So in your all and you two's opinion, like who does the blame fall on? If anyone uh, specifically. Yeah, I can jump in here first. I think yeah. that I said this on another podcast that I um that I host uh student section it's student media podcast check it out anyway i talked about this earlier selfless plug shameless plug um but florida didn't 
um, or Kentucky didn't win this game as much as Florida lost this game. They shot themselves in the foot over and over and over. They had eight false start penalties, 15 total penalties for 115 yards. If you give the other team a football field's length of yards, you're not going to win a game. Uh, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You could be playing Vanderbilt, and that game's going to be – I mean, okay, maybe not Vanderbilt, but you could be <laughs> playing a lot of even less than decent teams, and you're probably going to lose if you're doing that to yourself. I feel like um, you only said that the dig a pot shot at Vanderbilt. No, I love Vanderbilt. I talk about them all the time. No, nobody loves Vanderbilt more than I like. love Vanderbilt. I'm a huge <laughs> Commodore stan. They they got a huge win over UConn. They have multiple wins on the season. It's this awesome. also sounds like bias, but I'm not really sure how to address it. It's um, <laughs> I'm allowed to be biased towards Vanderbilt because they're Vanderbilt. It's like it's like a helpless puppy. Everybody loves Vanderbilt. Yeah, it's you like saying yeah, okay. You gotta root for him. You know, this um, is like so. This is like such so, so complimentary. It's like an insult. <laughs> basically it's very backhanded i'm sure vanderville appreciates it though michael 15 penalties for 115 yards that's an entire scoring possession even more you know beyond a scoring possession so th- those are points being let up by penalties there plain and simple it's definitely a, a large factor in florida's loss and i agree with you that it does seem more like florida beat themselves than kentucky beat florida in this situation ryan what do you think uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I guess, um, Michael, uh, I guess left me the reins to tackle Dan Mullen a little bit more. Right. Um, so Dan Mullen preached, has preached since he arrived at Florida that he's an aggressive coach. Right. Uh, he's preached how much he wants to like just tackle every other team, take the fight to them. He wants to be that guy. Uh, in the on Florida's first drive of the game against Kentucky, uh, they were they had they were averaging seven and a half yards a run this season, almost eight, almost over seven yards a play period, mm-hmm. and they had fourth and three from the Kentucky forty-one, and right. Dan Mullen punted. <laughs> yeah, from the Kentucky forty-one yard line. Um. I don't know how many aggressive football coaches you guys know. That does not seem like uh, – also, I want you guys to know, uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, <laughs> meanwhile, that same, that same day went for it on fourth and four from the Alabama 11. <laughs> now, so. I think Lane Kiffin is probably the perfect definition of an aggressive coach, though. Lane Kiffin is the perfect definition of a lot of things, but we're not on this podcast to discuss Lane Kiffin. Um, so, but like, yeah, like that's just the point where it's like you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth about the aggression thing. Um, and Zach Goodall did a really, really good, uh, in like in depth research into this today. But like, something is wrong with the Florida passing game because in the first half, Emory Jones went 10 of 11, which mm-hmm. like is great on paper, but only three of those completions went for longer than 10 yards, and one of them right. was like 12. And so, like, there was just no downfield attacking. And I know Dan Mullen said in his press conference on Monday, they were playing a lot of one high soft coverage. So like they didn't feel like they could attack downfield, but it it looked, it looked like a game plan thing. Like it, it looked like a lot of those plays were either Emory cycled through his reads too quickly, which I have a harder time believing, or they were like design check downs because Emory was letting the ball go on those screen within two or three seconds. So either he's blitzing through his reads and figuring out that Copeland and Shorter aren't open, 
mm-hmm. or they're just design checkdowns. And so that was really the thing that took me aback is just how like conservative the game plan felt. And then I don't like, at least on paper, I mean, you never know what's going on behind the scenes in the coaching room, but like, I don't know if Mullen's really preparing for unranked teams correctly. I think he does a great job. He does a great job calling plays against Alabama's and Georgia's when he plays them. Obviously he's lost by one possession. The last two times he's battled Nick Saban. Um, both times just really running out of time. But like his last seven SEC games, he's like either trailed, he trailed in his two games against Alabama, but in the other five, he's been leading by less than one. He like even had a one possession lead at halftime. And those were games against Tennessee, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. Like two games against Kentucky, two games against Tennessee, and a game against Vanderbilt. He hasn't led by more than seven at halftime. Yeah, that's not a very uh, and encouraging since, or reassuring no. stat. And since the start of last season against SEC opponents, Dan Mullins played uh, 14 SEC opponents since the start of last year. Right. And in 10 of those games, with two minutes left in the first half, he was either trailing or leading by a one possession. 10. That means like almost 75% of the time, like Dan Mullen is in a tight game with an, like when he plays an unranked team through two quarters. Like that's a, that's a pretty bold stat line, a pretty uh, bold thing to have pinned to your name, especially for a coach like Dan Mullen. And honestly, the Kentucky game seems like a fruition of all the information you just gave us. Like everything that has been on a pattern for, for concern with Dan Mullen seemed to, rear its ugly head in the Kentucky game. And that's really been the thing for like games like Kentucky or even LSU last year. Like when you let unranked teams hang around like that, it just, I, I know um, there was a great article written about this. Um, uh, hold on. Let me f- find who did that because I want to make sure I give them the credit for it. If I'm citing it, but right. um, like Dan, like when he does that, he just decreases his margin of error so severely. Like when he's not leading by 30, 40 points, it's he doesn't give himself it was a uh, david wonderlick uh for gator country um right. but um when he does that it's just like he has no margin for error and like when you like like t- like the last two losses have had a lot of dumb like two unranked losses for florida the last two seasons so it was lsu last year kentucky for a mm-hmm. lot of dumb things happen whether it was a yeah. kyle trask a kyle trask pass getting batted down like batted up in the air twice and intercepted in the red zone or Marco Wilson doing whatever Marco Wilson did that shall not be named um, <laughs> or like 15 penalties or eight false starts. So like all that stuff, like that stuff shouldn't happen very often, but that stuff also shouldn't decide games. But when you're right. leading by, when you're leading by three points, seven points tie game, like at halftime, that stuff does decide games. And the reason why Dan Mullen loses these games and like it's an unfair bar to hold him to Nick Saban, but Nick, like if you want to win a national championship, that's the guy you've got to beat. Nick Saban, like I think he's Nick Saban, including the playoffs, has led by more than 14 points at halftime against like eight or nine of his last 14 power five opponents. Nick Saban. I don't even like, think it's an unfair comparison to compare Mullen to Saban just because when Mullen wins and when Mullen performs well like I definitely saw on 
everywhere on Gators Twitter after the close game versus Alabama, people were comparing Mullen to Saban. They were saying Mullen was even out coaching Saban that game, and it just came down to the talent level. Like, if you're going to give him that credit in one situation, then I think he does deserve the comparison when he's not, you know, achieving that success. If Dan Mullen wants to bring a national championship to Florida, multiple national championships to Florida, which is what he said is his goal, like unless he's planning on waiting until Nick Saban retires, that's the guy he's going to have to go through. And yeah. you know, I'm you know you know what I feel like the end goal of all of Dan Mullen's tenure has been leading to. I feel like Dan Mullen's tenure is leading to one year where he like, he's undefeated going into Jacksonville and he beats Georgia, and all of Florida is like, oh my god, like we're go- like they're going to go to the SEC championship like all of Florida fans like going nuts and then he loses a game to like Tennessee like a week later and all of a sudden the SEC championship's out of reach again i feel like that's what the tenure is building to because I feel like all- you, you say it's building to that but you could argue no, that that's just like, that's what just happened i mean after no, a close that, loss to alabama that is that is true but i think i think the loss against alabama and last year the early loss against AM kind of softened those blows a little bit because lsu that's and true. Kentucky I agree this year they didn't they just put the college football playoff out of reach they didn't take florida from contenders to out they took florida from like hey if they win out the rest of the year and if they look super great and if they somehow beat georgia then they're probably an right. outside hope to get in because they played bama well well like last year i think last year going into that lsu game it's like yeah if they they obviously people a lot of people thought it was including myself thought it was a formality going into that lsu game which was obviously an oversight but like like the idea going into that lsu game wasn't if they win this game they're in it was if they win this game and beat bama they have a shot like right and I think those early losses against top teams kind of soften those blows, but like, yeah, I think it, I think it like almost I'm, takes I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the year Florida that, in a way to lose to a big I'm, team I'm, that early. Yeah. I'm waiting for the year that Dan Mullen like is the three seed going into like the second to last week of the year and like drops a game to Mizzou and everyone's just like, what the hell? Well, that I mean, will be the year. I feel like that's kind of what Mullen's tenure has been. Like, like Jackson was saying, I feel like this is what Florida fans have almost come to expect. Like he wins the games he's supposed to win, um, except for like one random game a year where just for whatever reason, they don't play well. They just look out coached, out prepared, whatever you want to say. And then they'll drop games to, you know, the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world, and then they'll end up in a New Year's Six Bowl, and that'll be that. I mean, I I don't want to call Mullen, like, a New Year's Six coach per se, but, like, he hasn't shown anything that he can coach above that level. I mean, I don't think he's close to the level of even Kirby Smart. Um, but, yeah, I think like right now it's fair to say that his absolute ceiling is new year six. Cause that's the only place we've seen him get to. Also like, God forbid, you're not allowed to tell Jackson that I said this, Michael, um, even Dan Mullins, one win against Georgia, like wasn't full power Georgia. That was a really depleted Georgia roster with a really struggling Stetson Bennett at the helm mm-hmm. rather than a full strength JT Daniels. Like, Oh it's yeah, really it's just a fact. I mean, um, if Daniels plays that game, I, if Florida, it's a different game. I, I don't think Florida wins because there were many times I was there as a fan, and there were just so many plays on 
like second or third down where Georgia would have a wide open receiver and Stetson Bennett would overthrow him by 10 yards or underthrow him by five. Like it was, it was an, it was abysmal performance. Yeah. Terrible. So no, go ahead, Justin. No, I was was just going to say that I, I, I agree with both of you that Mullen basically by his own accord has capped out his potential as a coach, just because you're right, Michael, it feels like this game, like this game versus Kentucky or the game versus LSU, it comes every year. And for some reason, every year passes, a new season comes and these kinds of games pop up and people even see it coming. Like before the Kentucky game, people were like, watch out, this could be, you know, that one game of the year for Florida. It's, you would think that Mullen would, put the extra mental effort towards those games, games that look well, like that rather than just focusing on the big matchups, which are obviously important. But still, when you drop a, a, a winnable game a year to an unranked team, like that's a glaring issue you need to focus on. So Dan Mullins, he's one in five in his last six power five games and against Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, Mark Stoops and Ed Orgeron, who like, are probably the five best opposing coaches in the SEC. He's four and nine. Yeah, that's that's a tough stat. It, it's really just coming down to like, what do you want to do? Do you want to win the easy ones or do you want to win the hard ones? Because right now, neither well, are being won. Well, that's that's the issue. Like the biggest issue for me is Mullen. Like he he seems unwilling to like look inward and realize what needs to be changed for games like this to be avoided. Yeah, like well, I definitely he, agree. I don't know what it is, but like, like when uh, he was asked about it post game, someone was like, "Hey, like, one of the uh, reporters in the press conference was like, like, why do you need to like, like, what do you need to do? Like, did you get like out coached tonight?" Which right. like is a very blunt way to phrase that question. Mm-hmm. But um, he was like, no, "Like, no, like I had more, like we we had more yards than Kentucky." Yeah, like, I, I saw that like, he brought up the yards. He's gone. He's gone back. To, he went back to the yard draw against Alabama too. It's like, yeah, like you got you outgained them. Like congratulations, but like, like every time that like there's a loss like this in this program, and someone's like, hey, like Dan, like, do you think you guys need to do this better? And he's like, well, we did, but well, we did this part really, really well. And it's like, okay, yeah, you did. You can't just do one thing really, really well and waltz to the SEC title. You have to do everything yeah. really well. Uh, and no, I definitely agree. Yeah, that's I don't know, and that when, he just seems he seems unwilling to like look inward and realize like what needs to be changed, rather than just like try and like like focus on what he did well, rather than be like like I don't know, like if if Nick Saban's team had fifteen penalties, they'd probably run laps for a month. They probably just relinquished their like qualifications to play that season. I think Nick would just be like, we're not. We're not playing. That's too many penalties for one game. We're done for the season. We just got to run laps. I, I definitely agree what you mean. Like there needs to be some internal accountability taken because it feels like every time one of these tough losses happens, it is like a matter of Mullen bringing up something that was done successfully. And then it kind of trails off into, oh, well, then I don't know why we lost. And just it's kind of uncomfortable and awkward. I'm sure it is for the players as well. Like I'm not in that locker room. I can't say for sure what's going on with the team. But when the, this kind of response keeps coming from Mullen after bad losses, it, it's definitely a cause for concern. 
Yeah, 100%. Michael, how do you feel? I mean, yeah, I agree. I don't think that there's any way to say it's not a cause for concern. I think it's an exaggeration to say, oh, Mullen's on the hot seat or anything like that. Like I've seen some fans saying, um, because I don't know who you would go out and hire that's necessarily a huge upgrade over Mullen because he's still a great football mind. Um, right. He has one before but he needs to turn something around. And I think that starts with his personality and his ego, um, not to get too like in depth grading. Yeah. The Jaguars, but he did coach with urban Meyer. Who's... <laughs> oh, what, what are the Jags been doing this week? How did we flip this to a Jaguars? How did well, you do I this? Just, Michael? I just wanted to bring up the comparison of urban <laughs> Meyer, who is, very much known for being egotistic and i haven't heard any news about urban Meyer recently have you yeah i mean what is urban Meyer up to (laughs) nothing lately this is like in the past you know and like in like oh yeah i'm sure it's entirely he was known to be very you know egotistic very kind of uh, thought he was above everybody else i kind of see some of those same traits in dan mullen um and so i think think that i don't think those traits should be in a winning head coach um and that may sound bad and hopefully he proves me wrong um i don't know how you guys feel about it but that's just kind of what i've seen yeah. no i definitely agree. no i think i agree with 100 it looks dark for dan mullen right now but i also agree with you that it is a little dramatic to be like mullen's done the season yeah, done it's over so I think it is important. I, I wanted to discuss this as well. Like after Florida's loss to Kentucky, where does the team need to go from here to look back on the season and at least believe that they got something out of it? Like what now that the playoff is completely squashed, what is what is the goal Florida should be aiming for? Um, I think the uh, sorry, if, unless Michael wants to jump first, I can. Uh, no, you can jump first on this one. Uh, I would say that they have two goals right now, and I don't think either of them can be related to their record. Uh, I think they're both looking forward to 2022. Um, I would say uh, goal number one is figure out how you stack up against like Georgia in that game um, and see how like if playing Alabama was a flash in the pan against a home crowd, or if you really do have the talent to contend against the best teams week in, week out, because two games against, I mean, Alabama and Georgia have distanced themselves just one and two in college football right now. If you can keep it close against Georgia, you know, you have the talent to come back next year and reload. Um, But two, I would say in this, like, I hate making this argument because I've been beating the other drum for so long. You have to figure out like, some kind of sustainable way to spark plug the offense from the quarterback position, either loosen the leash on Emory and see what he can do and let him can command the offense and grow a little bit before the 2022 season. If you want to reload with him as a red shirt senior, or <laughs> if he's really not working, like, cause you, you, the offense as good as the running game has been, you cannot be an efficient, like the days of 2020, like the days of 2015 Alabama are over. Like you can't be a run first team, run heavy team and win national championships anymore. You just can't. Yeah. Passing no, offenses are too prolific. And so you need to find a way to add that extra dimension to the offense, whether that's with Dan's play calling, gaining Emory confidence, or even like, I don't really know if this is the solution right now, but even if it is throwing Anthony in there, 
you have to get that figured out by the end of 2021. Because right. if you can if you can reload in 2022, they have all the offensive talent, and a lot of that offensive talent isn't going anywhere. Um, except I, I believe like Stuart Reese is probably the only senior starting on the offensive line and all their positional weapons. I mean, Damian Pierce and Malik Davis will be gone, but they'll have Naquan Wright, Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard. Um, the offense is going to reload. Um, I would say a lot of their goals for the rest of the year have to be kind of like, they have to be subtracted from the record and just kind of be like almost like mental check marks of like, okay, can we add a dimension to the offense? Like, can we keep the defensive line strong? Um, can we develop our second cornerback, which Jason, Jason Marshall looks like he's really developing into that role. Uh, I feel like they have to be like mental checklists to make sure that you are more prepared for 2022 at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that um, because obviously the SEC championships a pipe dream at this point, you would need to somehow beat Georgia, who looked like the number one team in the country last week, shutting out Arkansas. And then you'd have to hope Georgia drops another game, um, which yeah, that would just have to isn't. be miraculous. So, um, I mean, the hope for this season is you went out um, – obviously somehow beat Georgia. And if you don't you just win every other game, hopefully squeeze into a new Year's six bowl. Um, but yeah, going forward, I agree with Ryan, you need to figure out this passing game because if Emery's not the guy you Mullen needs to just admit that to himself and move on. It's not doing him Richardson, the fan base, anyone, any favors to kind of like have him in there, but have one arm tied behind his back, either open up the playbook for him and truly trust him to run that offense or move on to Anthony Richardson, because you can't have, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Um, And if you have a quarterback, you don't trust to actually run your offense and to actually throw, then what's the point? So I think that will be the main thing I'm looking for the rest of the season to see if Emory gains that trust. Right. I definitely agree. Also, this is a really weird point, and let's see if you guys agree. Like, Florida's – like, if Florida walked into Kentucky believing they were a top-ten team in the country, which they thought they could beat Alabama, so I'm sure they did, um, Kentucky's pass defense is good. In what world do, do you have the weapons to believe you're a top-ten team in the country? Look at and be like, oh, they're playing one high safety. Guess we can't throw deep today. Like – I, I don't I, – I can't I, answer that for you. Like, credit to Kentucky. They have a good defense. Their defense played very well. But you – you, If you believe in Emory and you believe the receivers in that degree. You got to throw the ball. Oh, 100%. You need to air it out um, because they were keying in on the run all night. Like, you need to actually trust your guys and you need to trust the talent you have because you have talent in that receiving room. I mean, Jacob Copeland's been there a while – Justin Shorter was a number one prospect coming out of high school when he went to Penn State. Um, you know, Trent Whittemore's good. Xavier Henderson's shown flashes. You have a lot of talent, like, on the outside. Use it. I've really been impressed with Hendo this year. I have to. I've been super impressed. I actually wanted to mention that Henderson, I think, had the longest catch of the game for uh, the Gators versus Kentucky. I'm, I'm pulling this out up right now. It was a 22-yarder. I think it was Emery's, like, third pass. It was. It was a 22-yarder. So, obviously, Emery's capable, and obviously the receivers are capable, but if the ball isn't being designed to be thrown deep, it's not going to get thrown deep. But I think it just comes down to what you guys said, just figuring out this passing offense, redesigning the passing offense, and figuring out what's going to be best for the next year. Uh, we're running out of time, so I think 
we are going to wrap it up with this last question. Just what y'all think you're looking for the most versus Vanderbilt to show that Florida really is on this path to obtaining these goals and redefining the team. Yeah, I think um, a, they're opening up as a 38 and a half point favorite against Vanderbilt. And <laughs> That's they, so crazy. <laughs> if they don't cover that handily, then you have problems. Um, I talked about how much I love Vandy before, but they're not a very good football team. Um, sorry. There you Asian. Like you beat UConn and that was great, but this is um, a level of competition that Mullen and the Gators should crush easily, especially in the swamp. But we saw earlier in the season against FAU and USF, they looked weak at times. You can't do that against Vandy, especially after a loss against Kentucky. You need to come out strong. You basically need to play a perfect game of football and blow them out and just like, yeah, blow them out of the water. Um, I think the Swamp, it's a noon game against Vandy, so I don't know how rocking it'll be. But you're back in your home stadium. I think you need the fans to show out. Um, Emery needs to look good. I said that before last week against Kentucky, and he played well. Um, I want to see more trust in Emery to throw the ball, like I said, like for the rest of the season, and I think that starts this week. Ryan, yeah, anything I... you need to see from Vandy? I agree. I think just the offense has to look more explosive. Um, like I don't like I don't again, like I said, I don't dislike the um uh like the run first offense they've been doing and they've managed mm-hmm. to gain chunk plays, but like I feel like there's just this degree that top offenses in the country have this like gear that Florida hasn't shown they can have yet. And if they don't show that they can have that gear, I think we got a flash of it in the second quarter against USF. When Amory, right. Anthony and Emery were trading we touchdowns, they scored like 21 points in five minutes. And if you can do something like that against Vanderbilt, like that's awesome. But like, if you don't, if you can't show that, like that, like the height of that power against Vandy, then you just don't have that gear. So I, that's what I want to see is just the ability to get put up points quickly and gain, get those chunk plays. Right. I definitely agree. I think Florida probably has to have their most impressive offensive performance of the season versus Vanderbilt to convince anybody that things are looking up from here, especially after a week as bleak as this one. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's all the time we have. I want to thank Michael and Ryan for joining me on this week's episode. And we will see how everything pans out for the Florida Gators this Saturday versus Vanderbilt and the rest of the football season. Thank you guys.